Hi, it's Chris. A few reminders. First, have you signed up for my free newsletter at chrisreback.com? It brightens your Sunday afternoon with my thoughts, show notes, extra questions with guests, and more. This week's bonus question for Rick Wilson, is a blue wave coming? You can sign up at chrisreback.com. Next, if you like the podcast and the newsletter, how about supporting the effort? Become a member of Chris Reback's Conversations. Members get exclusive access to select podcasts like my recent live podcast. You also get invitations to submit questions for upcoming podcast guests. Other benefits will be added in the future, and we offer two tiers of membership, Patron and Superstar. Choose the one that's right for you at chrisreback.com slash membership. Finally, thank you to everyone who takes the time to rate and review this podcast on iTunes. It makes a big difference. So if you like these conversations, I'd appreciate if you'd take a moment, go to iTunes, and if you're so moved, leave a five-star review. Of course, you know the other side. If you don't like the conversations, well, thanks for still listening, but please just forget that whole rate and review thing. So when you're finally tired of this terrific summer weather and looking for three things to do, sign up for the newsletter, become a member, and please rate. Thanks, and now let's get to the podcast. I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations. Rick Wilson doesn't expect you to like him. For the last 30 years, Rick has been part of the underbelly of American politics, a self-described Republican political strategist and infamous negative ad maker. And he's done it for Republicans at all levels, state, local, and national, ranging from George H.W. Bush to Rudy Giuliani and beyond. As he says, he's the one you called when you needed an attack. Not that he feels his Democratic competitors were any better, but among them, they helped make our politics nasty, bitter, angry, and mean. Now we have a divided country, and Donald Trump is president, and Wilson, who, as you'll hear, feels some guilt about the mess we're in, is trying to do something about it. He's written about it all in his new book, Everything Trump Touches Dies, a Republican strategist gets real about the worst president ever. If you've seen Rick on TV, you know he's a live wire. Just this week, Morning Joe had to use a seven-second delay and literally mute one of his colorful rants, so buckle up. In fact, one note about that in terms of this conversation. At one point, some of the audio went slightly haywire. Rick began to digitize with our internet connection. I let some of it go because the guy delivers gold. I didn't want to stop him. About halfway through, though, I gave up on the internet and called him on his landline. So definitely stay with it. Before we begin, though, I want to remind you about our show's terrific sponsor, The Cook Political Report, and, importantly, a special offer for our listeners to get an 18% discount off all subscriptions. You know already, people who want to stay ahead of the curve turn to The Cook Political Report, and with good reason. For 30 years, the report has nailed the nation's most important election outcomes and political trends. People who make it their business to know politics make it their business to subscribe to the Cook Political Report. And for Political Wire listeners, a special offer. You can use the code POLITICALWIRE to get 18% off all subscriptions. Just go to cookpolitical.com and use the code POLITICALWIRE, that's one word, to sign up and get 18% off all subscriptions. That's cookpolitical.com, code POLITICALWIRE. Okay, that's it. Here's my conversation with Rick Wilson. Rick, thanks for joining me. I appreciate your time. Chris, I th thanks so much for having me. Are you still a Republican? I am still a Republican, although I, I like to say every day is a stress test. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and what does the doc say? How's, how's your ticker doing? 
well, you know, it, it's uh, as long as I stay on the treadmill and uh, and watch what I eat, I think I'll survive it. But it's uh, it's touch and go some days. <laughs> so quasi serious question. What does it mean to be a Republican today? Well, I still think that there is a at least a remnant, at least a faction of the Republican Party that is is, is trying to survive the conversion of the of the, the, the frankly, the bulk of, of the GOP. Uh, into a Trumpian, uh, nationalist, authoritarian sort of statist party um, that is that is pretty far away from all the principles and 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 philosophical underpinnings that once informed American conservatism and and, and the Republican Party. We've really departed from like the Burkean conservatism and and the and the Reagan optimism and the and the Bush forty one competence based governance and we're a sort of Republican Party now that is. Uh, based on some frank racial animus and some very ugly beliefs about, you know, the the power of the executive and the and the hatred of the press and this sort of um, reflexive uh, new version of republicanism, which isn't about you know limited government or lowering taxes. It's about owning the libs and about you know who can make the people feel the most outraged. And, and so I want to ask you about that, and, and we'll get in. I mean, the, the book outlines in you know terminology and and language and tone and color that uh, few besides you can can kind of conjure up uh, on the fly like like you do, and we've we've all seen it. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it it's and, and it reads that way, and you, I mean, it translates into the book, which is which is a lot of fun. Before we get into how we got here, you write early in the book how conservative, and you just said it right there, how conservatives went against their beliefs and morals to support Trump. And part of what I found myself kind of wondering was, how do you know that? How do you know which one is their real set of beliefs? I, I know Berkey and you know conservatism and and the, the conservatism through Reagan and and that existed and that right. was alleged, frankly, to have defined the Republican Party. But if they were principles, they they couldn't be abandoned. And so, how do you know which was real? Look, there is there is a little bit of a of a search underway for myself and many many others to determine um, were we were we just BSing each other or were we BSing ourselves? Because yeah. I have seen people who swore up and down that debt and deficits were the absolute catastrophe that were going to destroy this country, that were going to lead us to an immediate political and economic apocalypse. Sign off on a tax bill. That it put a two trillion dollar uh, obligation to, into the federal in the federal coffers, and and that two trillion dollar obligation to to make the math work would require economic growth at four point nine percent forever. And you know these people all knew this; they all understood it. But what they voted for was a crony capitalist bill that benefited about one hundred and fifty hedge funds. And a few corporations in the in the multi hundred billion dollar range of market cap. So, you know, and I've seen I saw people on the floor of the House and Senate saying that this was the best thing since prepared mustard. And all of our priors about debts and deficits were just swept away. Now, you know, I'm a cynical guy. I've been in a cynical business. I've been in the most cynical part of a cynical business for a very long time. Hmm. And I'm stunned by the ease with which people have walked away from from their priors. And I mean one another another example Chris that I find amazing is when Barack Obama wanted to expand homeland security, Republicans were screaming and tearing their hair out saying that it was going to be a a left-wing fascist 
secret police state. Well, now we're expanding DHS and Border Patrol and ICE and all these things by numbers that that wildly exceed anything Barack Obama ever proposed. And suddenly the expansion of police powers inside the government and the bureaucracy are just fine. And, and so I haven't walked away from what I believe in terms of limiting the power of the state, the responsibility for fiscal you know, probity, um, the idea that individual liberty matters, the idea that the Constitution matters, and that you know we have three co-equal branches of government and not the president, his junior assistant golf club managers in the House, and, and a supine Supreme Court. I still believe in those like, old-fashioned parts of this, uh, of this equation, and I don't think a lot of my fellow Republicans – I think a lot of them have given up on that. I think some of it's opportunist. I think some of it is just like they're trying to get what they can in the, in the midst of this craziness. I think some of it is, frankly, a, a lot darker than that. And it's fear and it's it's they're terrorized by Trump and Trump's followers. Were you naive, do you feel, in any way? I mean, you you you, you served in the underbelly of politics. You You've said it yourself. Um, and, yeah. and, you know, it'd be how to it'd, it'd be hard to out cynical, you know, Rick Wilson or or others like you on the Democratic yeah. side as well. Right. There, there are de- Democratic sure. Rick Wilsons, obviously. We adopt that, you know, that military phrase, you know, as politics often does. You know, a lot of us are operators. You know, we go out and we have missions we accomplish and we go out and we talk to people, um, you know, and I if I go to Vermont to help elect a Republican there, my my personal beliefs don't matter. I have to help that person get elected there. And if I go to, to you know, run somebody in Arkansas, my personal beliefs don't matter, and I help them get elected there with the right message. So I, the cynical nature of, of, of the, the, the expedient nature of, of the election itself is one thing. The philosophical underpinnings, the foundations that, that Republicans broadly ought to or claim to share, you know, that's been blown away. They don't, now the only belief is – is how much do you love Donald Trump? Would you have ever bet that that could occur, that, that a, a running away from principles and beliefs could have occurred on the Republican side? I, I mean, if that were to have occurred, would, I assume that you would have seen that, you would have bet you from where you stood, that, well, that, that's where Democrats will go. They, you know, they'll, they, well, we, saw, we saw a perfect example with, with, with a, a Democratic presidents. We saw it with Jimmy Carter, and then we saw it with Bill Clinton, the Democrats – realized with Carter that he wasn't perfect for them, but a Southern Democrat could upset the apple cart in 76. And he did. They realized with Bill Clinton, the young, slightly inexperienced, but incredibly charismatic guy who wasn't perfect on all the Democratic Party's, you know, top down national issue set. I um, mean, you know, he was a pro death penalty guy. He wasn't a you know, far, far, you know, abortion. He didn't like cheerlead for abortion. He's the guy that it should be safe and rare. He's a candidate who could win. And, you know, and Republicans made that choice with Trump. And, 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 they, and they're living with that choice of Trump now. What are Vichy Republicans? Vichy Republicans are Republicans who collaborated with the, with the, Trump, the, the Trump campaign and the Trump regime even though they recognized and understood that the consequences politically and, and morally, frankly, were, were going to be quite extraordinary. And I, I mean, the number one on that list for me is, of course, Reince Priebus, who knew very well what Donald Trump was and chose at every point to either do the weak thing or the wrong thing in terms of trying to stop him as the nominee. 
and was taken by Trump. In the best case scenario for Ryan Priebus is that Donald Trump conned him. The worst case is that he was too scared to stand up. And I, I unfortunately for Ryan, I think the second case is probably the more likely case. You, you you must have at one point. I mean, obviously, you must have at one point had a relationship with him or or dealt with him fairly regularly. Sure, I supported him for for chairman. When's the last time you spoke with him? Twenty fifteen. Haven't spoken to him since then. Or pre Trump, I guess. I had complimented him on something. He sent me a nice email saying thanks so much for kind words about something about the debates and Carl Arena or something. Well, becoming an ever Trump Republican means that the Republicans who still talk to me do it nervously and in secret. But ironically, I actually talk to more elected officials now that aren't my clients or weren't my clients than I used to talk to my regular clients in the House and Senate. These guys call me up out of the blue sometimes. Hey, it's Congressman so-and-so from blah, blah, blah. I got your number from so-and-so. I just want to have a little off the record with you. Can I just pick your brain for a minute? And I talk to these guys a lot. And you know, very frequently it's, oh my God, I hate him. What do I do? Oh my God, I can't believe I had to go up there wearing that stupid red hat. And there's great distress just below the surface, you know, outside of the 50 or so guys who are the true believers, the Trump hottie caucus. Um, there's a great distress about, about Trump and about Trumpism with a lot of these folks. And it, it makes them nervous. They're very unhappy. And so what do, what do you tell them? I mean, you're a political strategist. They're calling you. I mean, on, on some level, they're calling you for advice, right? They're calling you for professional advice. Yeah. What, what do you tell them? You know, either I'm their confessor or their <laughs> advisor. I, I think a lot of times it's more confessor than advisor. But I've told a lot of them, like, you know, look, if you're if your bloody minded um, primary opponent is a screaming Trumper, you have to do what you have to do to survive. But. But in many of these cases, that decision to go all Trump means that you put yourself in a general election posture where your vulnerabilities increase exponentially. And I use that word advisedly. Because, you know, you have a person like a Comstock or Will Hurd, who are not Trumpers, but have said just enough to keep the mob from the door, and they get tarred with the brush of Trump. Yeah. Definitively. Rick, I'm going to call you back on your landline, and I'll, I'll in the in the intro, I'll okay. just I'll make clear that we switched audio, but I'm I'm losing too much of you. I feel you. No, I got you. Okay, okay. Man. thanks. Right, no thanks. Please enter your access code followed by the pound or hash sign. Hi, it's Chris. We'll do this. We'll we'll make conversation great again. Okay. Uh, fun never ends. Okay. Yep, I, I understand. Well, let me do the same thing, Rick. Then that maybe some of the uh, um, some of the Republican politicians have been doing. And, and actually, this is not to ask you for the confessional, but to, to ask you some political strategy. Um, sure. First of all, Trump's strategy. I mean, he's instituted a strategy. Once upon a time, politicians ran to the extreme in the primary. You know it. And they campaigned and mm -hmm. governed more to the middle and to build a broad co coalition. We all know his strategy now. It is to campaign and govern almost exclusively to the base, to solidify the base. Um, Chris, and not just the base. Yeah. Trump doesn't even govern from the entire Republican base. He governs from a part of the Republican base that comprises about somewhere between 8 and 11 percent of the Republican base. And these are the people that are activated almost entirely by immigration, almost entirely by the sort of modern you know, political cocaine that these guys are using of the what I call the own the libs faction of the party. But all they want is outrage. They want the transgressive nature of Donald Trump. But from a political strategy point of view, is it, is it a bad strategy? I mean, do you look at it and, and as the guy who, you know, has done and, and operates where you do? You know what? It, 
or if you're if you're a public company in in uh, you know backwoods Arkansas or Rattlesnake Creek Alabama, that's great. But if you're a Republican running in Virginia or New Jersey or most of Ohio uh, or Wisconsin outside of the red areas, you know where you should be able to compete if you're not an idiot, you suddenly disqualify yourself by being the part of the Trump movement with educated voters, with most voters under the age of 55, with almost every female voter in the country now, with African-American voters, with Hispanic voters. So there's a cost to adopting the Trumpism uh, you know, the reality TV star who everyone thinks is the lovable rogue can get away with it. The ordinary Joe Republican cannot. How would you advise? So I'm not saying that you would take the job because, uh, you know, you, you've got you've got your principles. But but a Democratic nominee for print for president in 2020 sure. who wants to beat Trump. Um, what, what would you advise? What would be the outlines of your, of your political strategy advice? I'm going to give you I'm going to give the best piece of advice I could give them was take all the media training you possibly can and become the best possible person on TV answering questions as quickly and fluently as you can. Because this race will be mediated by television. It will not be ground troops or organization or data. It will be fought out in an earned media battle to the death. And so whoever the Democrats nominate better be so quick on their feet and so charismatic and so good on TV that that that, that it makes Bill Clinton and Barack Obama look like clunky mooks from some, you know, small town political system. They need to have somebody who is great television. And that means they can, they have to be able to go on TV and entertain and connect and provoke and do all the things that Donald Trump does on the other side of the equation. Is there anyone you have your eye on? Not yet. Is that a politician? I mean, what you're describing, frankly, to me, doesn't necessarily sound like a politician. I, I listened to them. I, I heard a I heard a senator today, uh, you know, talk about a crickety old rusted lawn chair, and I screamed at the television and said, you know, who talks like that? Right? Nobody. Nobody talks, talks like that. So, the, the, yeah. Go on. I'm describing. I'm describing a celebrity, frankly, or or a or a charismatic business leader. You need somebody who who has all those media gifts and skills, and that would be what I would be looking for first. I would be putting ideological purity to the Democratic Party way down the list. I'd be putting making the Bernie bros happy somewhere near a 1,000 on the list. Somebody who can go out and go toe-to-toe with Trump in front of a camera, that's what you need. And, and until I find that person, I think they're in some political trouble. How much are you uh, paying attention? How, how much are you, of course, you're paying attention. How much are you looking at the midterms as a sign of the future? And most recently, Ohio's 12th district. How much attention should we pay to what, hap- pay to what happened there? Well, the 12th district in Ohio, we, the Republican Party spent $4.7 million to win a race. They should have had to spend about a half a million to win. They can't replicate that at scale in the 60 other districts that demographically model the both in Ohio and that are as competitive as that. And I think the um, I think the party's in for a very hard run come up to November, especially because most Republicans now they live or die by whatever crazy thing that Trump tweets that day. So the party's put itself in Donald Trump's hands, and those are the small little hands of a person who you know has a short attention span and a, a lot of impulse control. And I think that we're going to end up seeing something um, that could end up being very chaotic and very politically risky for Republican candidates up and down the ticket. 
Rick, just to close out, um, you, you cover a lot in the book and you, you, you talk about how we got here and you're not happy with where we are. But you say very early and, and, it, and it hit me when you said it, um, you kind of raised the question, you know, do I feel guilty? Do you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know what? I feel guilty. The biggest thing I feel guilty about is that I couldn't crack the code against Donald Trump in 2015 and 16. I put my guts into it, and I and you know what? False modesty is the worst kind. I'm really good at what I do, and I'm really a pretty smart guy. But I couldn't back the foot of Donald Trump, and it frustrates me to this minute that I couldn't save the party and save the conservative movement from this guy and convince them that the things that they think right now are these enormous victories for them are a death trap that they're building around themselves in the era of Donald Trump. Well, you're trying now. Um, Rick, thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much. Anytime, Chris. Talk to you soon. That was my conversation with Rick Wilson. Want more from Rick? A reminder to sign up for my free newsletter at chrisreback.com. It has bonus insights from him on the question, is a blue wave coming? My thanks to Rick for the conversation and you for listening. I'm Chris Reback. I'll talk with you soon. 